Welcome to the Esri and the Science of Our podcast. The supply chain is grappling with unprecedented disruptions, and we need adaptive thinking and technologies to navigate the challenges ahead. According to Dan Pimentel, President and CFO at ESP Logistics Technology, real-time visibility and location technology are seeing an upswing in use by logistics companies and seaports focused on profitability, traceability, and transparency. We've had trucking companies, we've had third-party logistics companies. Their margins are anywhere from 10 to 12% if they're very well-run company. And so every dollar of efficiency out of these assets goes to the bottom line as profitability. And so there's a big incentive if you can provide them with tools to more effectively utilize their assets, then their, their profitability should increase dramatically. Esri's John Lenahan talks to Dan Pimentel about how cutting-edge location and data management technology are creating a more profitable and resilient supply chain. Hi, Dan, and welcome to Esri and the Science Aware podcast. Hi, John. Happy to be here today. Dan, logistics in some ways is a dominant industry in our economy. Here's a staggering statistic. 90% of global trade comes on ships. Yet, When we've talked in the past, you've said it's wildly inefficient. In such a legacy industry that's been around for so long, why is that still the case? Yeah, I mean, it's an incredible industry. You know, $13 trillion of spend on logistics uh, is where we're at in the next couple of years, right? And so if that was a country, that'd be the third largest economy in the world. Um, and whatever you say about governments, whether they do or don't drive efficiency within uh, their marketplace, um, we really in logistics have no top-down oversight, right? On the flow of goods, no sharing of information, um, the ability to try to drive efficiency into it against the population of companies that could be, I'd say, easily hundreds of thousands of disparate companies that move from factory all the way to consumer. And so that those are obviously big issues. Now, I will say the containerization of the industry a few decades ago has really allowed that industry to now very much extend those supply chains, right? It's not from going from an Ohio factory to New York City any longer for a piece of furniture. Um, it's coming from China and it's only going on a shipping container and having to go through the ocean and terminals and being imported into the country. So, Dan, you used the term there, containerization, and that can mean something else in IT space. What is containerization in the shipping industry? So it used to be that um, all goods were shipped what they called break bulk. And so it would be in the hull of the ship and they would have basically canvas sacks and they would pull them up onto the shore and then people would disperse the goods within those sacks as needed. Um, But in the 50s, 60s, uh, an individual invented the shipping container. So it's a metal box. They're either 20 foot or si- or 40 foot in length. Um, and all of the goods are contained within that box. And that box will start at the factory. Um, it'll be loaded up. It'll go on a truck to a terminal, the terminal to load onto an ocean carrier, very well protected within the metal walls of that box. Um, and then through to the country of import. Um, And so that container in and of itself drove efficiency, it reduced theft, um, and it allowed for the industry to build these massive container ships that today can hold as high as 17 to 18,000, what they call TEUs, which is a 20-foot equivalent. So everything is traveling much further in in a lot of cases end-to-end across the globe. That has to introduce some new challenges for the supply chain. 
Yeah, for sure. You know, my, my time in the industry, I spent a lot of time in retail. I was in the finance organization of the Disney stores. And that long of, of a supply chain meant that when you're in February, March, you had to finish your merchandise planning. You needed to get your POs out to China, uh, April, May for delivery dates of August, September and October. Um, the Disney store example is 70% of our sales were between Halloween and year end. Um, and so you had this nine month lead time that you needed to have in order to get your goods on time and in season, right? You don't want to miss your seasonal uh, launch date for your product. So planning is one aspect, but what about knowing where the containers actually are? Is there any way to, to understand where the containers are traveling at any given point of time? Um, yeah, you know, it, it's really today, it's all ledger based. There's a lot of latency in that ledger base. So there's checkpoints. Um, you know, it, the biggest difficulty in figuring out where your goods are, and again, the, the constituent that really wants that is the cargo owner, uh, because again, they want to make sure those goods are going to show up on time for their Halloween weekend, Thanksgiving weekend, et cetera. It, it's, it's a bunch of different disparate data sources that you have to go to to stitch together to try to piece where your goods are within this massive supply chain. And again, the consequences of, of missing those dates um, it's the discount bin. I mean, if you miss Halloween, you don't have the product on the shelves. Two, three days after Halloween, people are not wanting to uh, to buy a Halloween costume. So it goes into the 70 to 80% off bin. So you mentioned resources and the resources that are needed to really understand the the status of any given shipment. In the case of Disney, were those resources people? Did you hire more people to be able to kind of have that visibility? You know, for the for the most part, yeah, you you would have more labor than you would leverage technology uh, to do it. You know, we we had one year where we had a, a fairly big uh, holiday season, and there was disruption at the ports of L.A. and Long Beach, and we put a task force together, thirty people, put them in a conference room day in and day out, trying to put together probably sixty different disparate data sources. And the fellow from my team, since I was finance, he created a massive Excel spreadsheet to try to try to stitch that data together. And of course, you have different nomenclature for the data. You have different alphanumeric numbers for the same thing across different companies. And so the difficulty in, in trying to stitch that together and then so you, so you have 90 percent of your effort is just trying to get the data. And then you try to make time to do analytics against the data. Okay, how do I now make decisions to reroute my goods? Is it still possible to move them out of the complexes that are having disruption and into complexes like Oakland or Vancouver or coming around the Panama Canal to the East Coast ports? So how do we solve that? How do you bring the data together to be meaningful in a timely way? Because by the time you go through that exercise of collecting the data, analyzing it, you're on to the next week, the next shipment, the next season. How, how do you actually solve that with a, a technology approach? Yeah, and, and, and that's exactly it, right? It, 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 is, it has to be a technology solution. A lot of solutions that are coming out today are what we call ledger-based. So they're taking ledger points within the system that say it's been grounded in a terminal in the port of L.A., it's cleared customs. There's latency in that information, right? Now, granted, it is information. If you can bring that information into one system, that's a benefit to you. But what I think the solution is, is really geographic information systems, right? 
because once you start to take uh, time and place into consideration for the assets that are flowing through an environment, that's the most powerful identifier for those goods. You know, I think governments have considered trying to standardize data sets across the industry, a huge change management exercise, very difficult to do. I do think it needs to be done, but it'll probably take 10 years to get all of these hundreds of thousands of companies to unify under a series of standardized data sets. But a time and place, a longitude and latitude, an environment that a good is moving through or an, an, another asset is moving through, such as a chassis container ship, that's standardized throughout the world, right? That view um, of everything has a time and space in the world, I think is very powerful in putting together the analytics for how that, how that good is flowing through that environment. So before my next question, Dan, I, I wanna establish what are we tracking here, right? What are we monitoring? You mentioned a chassis, truck, kind of container. W what else um, are the components that we would wanna track and, and understand? I, I kind of look at it as two constituents, right? You have a group that is actually moving the goods and they've invested hundreds, billions of dollars in infrastructure to move those goods. And when I think of infrastructure, it's it's cranes and terminals, it's ocean ships, it's trucks, it's containers, it's chassis, and a whole number of other things. And when you look at those assets, the question becomes, do we need more of those assets or should we invest in technology that enables a higher utilization of them? In the Port of LA and Long Beach, their utilization rate is about 70%. Uh, why can't it be 85 to 90% if we use data to help us locate those assets to where they meet, need to be just in time to maximize utilization? Shipping is a classic legacy industry. We've been shipping things for centuries. In the 13th century, I could, I could understand how they could lose containers from the decks of the ship, but today it almost sounds bizarre. How do shippers lose track of such big shipments? You know, we recently went to a, a proposal with a company that was looking to install uh, GIS technology. And they asked us, you know, so you can track a ship, you can track uh, parts of the, the stream before it gets on the ship. Um, what happens when a ship goes to a port and offloads a container in a port where it shouldn't have offloaded that container, that it needed to go to the third port down from, from that location. And our answer was, if you know somebody that can help us tell us that, please introduce us. And, and the reason why it's so difficult to find is that once that's out of the stream, out of the proper place, um, there's no technology applied to figure out where it went to. And so that container could have gone into a yard at the wrong terminal, and there could be 10,000 other containers in that yard. So a, a, a massive shipping container has been misplaced like your, like your keys. <laughs> and once it's, once it's put in the wrong spot, there's no way to actually know where it is any longer. Yeah. And then that dovetails into some of the ideas of solutions of using GPS sensors to be able to identify immediately. Okay. So sensor technology, has it been adopted in logistics widely? So not, not widely, very limited actually, up until now. Um, so the only instance is, I'd say, probably less than a half percent of any shipping containers, as an example, have GPS sensors on them or what we would call a brain. But um, it's moving in the right direction. So initially, it's only been expensive goods, like things that are perishable, pharmaceuticals, 
um, things that uh, need temperature control. They've been the early adopters of putting GPS technology on it, not only GPS, but also the other factors of shock to the box or shock to the goods within it and the temperature variations within it. Um, but now the cost of the sensor, the cost of connectivity, either through satellite or, or cellular, has come down so much that now the industry is looking to do widespread adoption. And one of the first companies as an ocean carrier that's come out and said, we're going to embrace this, is Hapag Lloyd. They've decided to spend north of $200 million to censor up 100% of their shipping containers. And that's going to take the rest of the industry into a place to say, now they have a competitive advantage. Um, it helps them not to lose boxes, certainly. It helps them to position the empties to go back to China in a better manner. But then it's also allowing their the cargo owners, the Targets and the Walmarts of the world now to have real real-time location intelligence. Do they see that as a value to their business, being able to provide that increased intelligence to their, their end customers, essentially? Absolutely, right? So so the the companies like Target and Walmart, again, when we're talking about seasonal product, back to school, if they're anticipating they're not going to make it there on time, and they have good information as to when they will, that's a great tool for them to take some form of reaction to try to mitigate the risk of lost sales, right? And so ultimately, all of these shipping companies are beholden to the cargo owners. That's their customer. That's who pays their bills. And so if, if a cargo owner demands something like this, that they want real-time visibility, it's something that these uh, shipping companies need to react to. So over the past few years, Dan, you, you couldn't read a newspaper and not hear about the challenges in the supply chain um, affecting our day-to-day -day lives, you know, post-pandemic. And a lot of people purport to you know, believe we need to focus on building more infrastructure, docks, warehouses. What are they missing in terms of the solution? Is that the answer? So, so I, I think it could be part of it, obviously. Uh, more infrastructure is, is always good. But I think that the part here is that we think there's probably 20 to 25% underutilization of the existing assets. And so when you think about there's 17 million containers in the world, 37 million commercial trucks just in the US, uh, 5,300 ocean carriers, you know, Knowing location intelligence for these assets and positioning them in a better position to increase their utilization 20% increases a massive amount of capacity. And the perfect example on, on our team, we have a, a person that was at UPS that created the Orion platform. And what Orion did was it took GPS, it applied it into their trucks to determine the optimal routing and delivery sequencing of their parcels. And after they got it right, for the same number of trucks, uh, they drove 235 million less miles per year, okay? And so what does that mean? That effectively means that those same trucks, and that was for the same number of parcels, same number of parcels, same population of infrastructure, 235 million less miles driven. It means that you got probably 20% more capacity out of those trucks. And that's not even then considering on that if you had 235 million less miles, how much less pollution did that put in the air? So there is a there is an, a, an environmental component to driving efficiencies into these assets. So they're able to do more with a lot less, 
which means their costs are lower, but then also their potential for additional revenue by filling up kind of the, the capacity is huge. It's a double, it's a double kind of win on their side. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, we, we we've had trucking companies, we've had 3PLs, which are third-party logistics companies, warehousers, and and their margins are low. Their margins are anywhere from 10 to 12% if they're very well run company. And so every dollar of efficiency out of these assets goes to the bottom line as profitability. And so there's a big incentive if you can provide them with tools to more effectively utilize their assets, then uh, their their profitability should increase dramatically. So Dan, you earlier mentioned the the role of governments, and then you you can also think back to other solutions that you know people are claiming will help. One is data standards for sharing um, about supply chain and, and logistics data. Is that the answer? I I think it can be. But but again, I, I would roll back into it's going to take them decades. I, I've done um, large scale ERP implementations like SAP, and even within the same platform. So platforms across Oracle to SAP have different data definitions, different terminology, different alpha numeric fields, diff, different field widths. Now within an SAP system, you have versions and the versions five ago may not match to the version that's being used today in the same company from a data definition and data set perspective. Now you have something of real value, a standard data set that's pulling in the context of the goods that are in it. And then you're then able to show how that uh, container along with those goods is flowing through an environment. So using a geographic location as the unifier, maybe that's the standard piece and then integrating into business systems of record to pull the, the pertinent business information. That's right. And, and what we love about the GIS perspective, knowing the environment the goods are moving through, we're going to be able to project forward and simulate what's going to happen to those goods over the next two, three weeks or next month and a half. And again, the industry isn't there yet. They're working towards trying to get to near real time. Mm -hmm. um, and what we think we need to go to is ultimately beyond real time. Um, and then all of those analytics prescription uh, to be able to determine the impact to those goods. And of course, make decisions. You need enough lead time to make decisions to avoid that disruption. Dan, you mentioned the environmental impact of uh, improvements in capacity and how that would affect um, pollution, et cetera. So obviously, there's a lot more at stake than just lost money with the with the difficulties some of the shipping um, companies face. Can you expand on that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, so you know, Southern California, uh, the ports of LA and Long Beach are by far the biggest complex for importing goods uh, in the country. Forty percent, roughly, might be a little bit less now, of all imports coming into the country go through those two complexes, and and the activity associated with that is the higher highest emitter. Of, uh, of pollution. Um, and the type of pollution is diesel trucks, right? You know, the diesel trucks spend a lot of time in lineups trying to get through the terminal gates, in some cases, two to three hours. The catalytic converters don't work well when the engine isn't hot. So at idle, it, it, it emits more pollution than it would be if it's pulling a load. The ocean carriers, that's high sulfur fuels that they emit. And they're just now starting to put technology where they can scrub that while they're sitting at shore or to provide shore-based power to the ship when it's at berth so it doesn't have to run its its diesel engines. 
Um, but yeah, I mean, it's the obviously the biggest emitter of pollution in Southern California. And and if you can imagine, think about these trucks uh, not only waiting in line to get into a terminal, but getting on the freeway, and you're going anytime from nine to five in the afternoon. It's going to be row after row of truck hauling container and going 10 to 15 miles per hour. And, and I think there's a lot that we could do as an industry to improve that. Dan, this has been a great conversation. Thanks so much for joining me. Thank you, John. Thank you for listening to the Esri and the Science of Our podcast. And thanks to Dan Pimentel for explaining how the use of location technology can bring profitability and sustainability to the supply chain. If you like this episode, please share it with a colleague.